Are you ready, Ma? I'm ready, Erin. Are you ready, Christine? I'm ready. All right, but before we go to where we're going, folks, just a quick public service announcement. We have a new drinking game here at Gone with the Bushes. So anytime you hear a sharp or exaggerated gasp, Ma, <gasps> you have to take a drink. Got to take a drink. That's it. That's the, <gasps> the new. So there's one right there. Cheers. Cheers, cheers everyone. And also, for this episode, um, just be warned, all of us are just drinking on empty stomachs. So (laughs) it could get very slurry toward the end. Uh, But, you know, if you're doing the drinking game, you'll probably be there with us. There you go. And we're here to entertain. All right. These dark times. (laughs) We are going to New York City. New York City. Hey! The epicenter. <laughs> but the luckily, epicenter. <laughs> luckily, it's 1944 in New York City. We are doing the film noir. Laura. Oh, the particulars. Intro. Intro. Oh. There is a battle of wits between police detective Mark McPherson and newspaper columnist Waldo Lidecker. The battle between these two men turns a murder investigation into a unique love triangle. Laura. I could sing the theme song because for some reason I know the lyrics. Uh-oh. Oh, <laughs> I I didn't look it up to hear it. Could you give us a, a few measures? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> okay, that was a few. Yeah, um, there are words there, but... That's a very I, nice theme song. It is. It just plays a lot. Yeah, it yeah. does. Okay, particulars. All right, the particulars. So Laura was released in, on October 11th, 1944. It was directed and produced by Otto Preminger... He also did Carmen Jones, which we've done. Oh, we did do it, Otto. Mm-hmm. Fallen Angel, The Man with the Golden Arm, Porgy and Bess, uh, Anatomy of Murder, and an Advise and Consent, to name a few. He was also mm-hmm. an actor in The Pied Piper, Stalag 17, and he was in two episodes of Batman as Mr. Freeze. The screenplay is by Jay Drattler. He is an alumni of UNC Chapel Hill. And also went on to go to the Sorbonne, that fancy French or whatever European school. Yeah. Um, French University. He also. We're all all just supposed to know what that is. (laughs) I'm sorry, my French teacher in high school had gone there. Uh, yes. I know it from Rushmore because he was like, oh, the Sorbonne was his safety school. Uh-huh. Um, Confessions of Boston Blackie, Wife Takes a Flyer, and The Las Vegas Story are some of the things he's written. Wife Takes a Flyer, I gotta, yeah. Sometimes, <laughs> gotta investigate. If I don't know the, uh, full disclosure, if I don't recognize any of the movies, I just write the ones with the weirdest titles to me. There you yeah. go. <laughs> 
Um, Samuel Hoffenstein, he wrote over 30 movies, including The Wizard of Oz, Phantom of the Opera, and Ernst Lubitsch's Clooney Brown. Elizabeth Reinhardt, she wrote three Spanish-language films. She was from, I believe, Ohio, so it's this isn't a case of... Uh, uh, like Latin American person that I like, oh, I found a Latin American screenwriting woman. No, she just, this was back when people learned a bunch of languages. Um, they include La Buenaventura, Clooney Brown, Give My Regards to Broadway, and Ring Lardner Jr. He was uncredited in this film. He was a publicist and a script doctor he also worked on Woman of the Year, Forever Amber, MASH, and The Greatest. Nerd Alert, on Halloween of 2000, when he died, he was the last surviving member of the Hollywood 10. And the Hollywood 10 is a group of 10 screenwriters who refused to name names to the House of Un-American Activities Committee in 1947. Brother. Bravo. During the blacklist, he worked under pseudonyms and he wrote TV shows in Europe, but he wasn't allowed to get a passport because it wasn't until 1958 that the Supreme Court said, um, hey, you can't deny somebody a passport for political reasons, which I thought was interesting. Like 19, It was all the way until 1958. I wouldn't doubt if that started back again. His blacklisting ended in 1965 when producer Martin Ronshoff and Norman Jewison gave him a screenwriting credit for the film The Cincinnati Kid. And per a Hungarian writer named Miklos Vamos, Lardner received an Academy Award for a movie he wrote under a pseudonym, but he never said the movie because the writer allowed him to use his name as a front and that was the writer was doing him a favor so he never wanted to say oh no that movie i really wrote it wow mm -hmm. this is based on the novel laura by um so laura this is an interesting story it was actually a seven-part serial in collier's called ring twice for laura and then it was going to be a play on Broadway first. And that's when Otto Preminger wanted it to be a Broadway play. And Marlene Dietrich was attached to it. But Preminger and the author, Vera Caspery, she was a novelist and screenwriter, short stories, wrote a playwright as well. They had differing views on the adaptation, so it didn't go anywhere. And then that's when it was a seven-part serial. And then it became a novel. And the music is by David Raskin. He is considered the grandfather of film music. He also did The Bad and the Beautiful and Charlie Chaplin's Modern Times, The Day After, and Apache. The director of photography is Joseph Lachelle. He was the camera, a camera operator on How Green Was My Valley. Hmm. He also shot Fallen Angel, Clooney Brown, The Long Hot Summer, The Apartment, Irma La Dolce, Barefoot in the Park, and he was nominated for an Academy Award eight times. Mm. It was edited by Louis Loeffler. He also cut up Anatomy of Murder, How to Marry a Millionaire, The Iron Curtain, The Cardinal. 
He had two Academy Award nominations for the Cardinal and Anatomy of Murder. And so the cast, starring Jean Tierney as Laura Hunt, this is her best-known role. She was, we, she was also in the movie we did, Heaven Can Wait. And then that was her movie before this. And then she did Laura. She was also known for Leave Her to Heaven, The Razor's Edge, The Iron Curtain, Advise and Consent. And Nerd Alert, she came from Money and was like, she was one of those drop dead gorgeous people who she was so beautiful that she got into Hollywood because she went to on a film on a vacation with her family to Warner Brothers when she was 17 and the director was just like my god you kid (laughs) so i expected that to happen to me when we went everyone does (laughs) you go to paramount all the studio tours i'm like man way they get a load of me and nothing (laughs) yeah and they just let me go out the game yeah but no gene tierney they were like we we thought it was gonna happen to us when we walked out of the hamilton doors We did. Well, Broadway. they thought we were they famous we were. until they saw who we were. They're like, oh, oh. no. Huh. <laughs> Interesting. And so, of course, she was um, pursued by Howard Hughes. But because oh. she came from so much money, she was like, that don't impress me much. Mm. And they, be, they were lifelong friends, though. So she, there's that. Even when he was a recluse and his fingernails were... Yeah, I'll get into it later, but okay. he actually did real solid by her. Oh, oh, okay. And we have Dana Andrews as, I believe he was Lieutenant Mark McPherson. He was a big star in the 1940s. He was also in The Best Years of Our Lives, The Oxbow Incident, The Iron Curtain, and he was the 15th president of the Screen Actors Guild from August 1963 to June 1965. Hmm. We have Clifton Webb as Waldo Lydecker. He was in The Razor's Edge, Sitting Pretty and Cheaper by the Dozen, but he's mainly known for being a big, big time Broadway theater star. Ah. And Vincent Price as Shelby Carpenter. Vincent Price has two stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, one for movies and one for TV. He was also in Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, the House of House of Wax, the House on Haunted Hill. He's the narrator of the Michael Jackson music video thriller. He was in Edward Scissorhands and The Pit and the Pendulum. Yeah, he became a horror mm-hmm. movie star. You have Judith Anderson as Anne Treadwell. Um, excuse me, Dame Frances Margaret Anderson. <laughs> She's considered one of the 20th century's greatest classical stage actors. She was also in Rebecca, The Ten Commandments, and Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. And we have Dorothy Adams as Bessie Clary. She was uncredited in Ninochka. (gasps) And she was also in The Best Years of Our Lives in The Ten Commandments. And there are the particulars. Well done. Well, it starts with a portrait of Laura, and we hear the theme music, just the instrumental. And we um, do we see Waldo, or is he just talking over? I think he's talking he's over. He's just talking over. Because we don't see him His yet. reveal is fantastic. That's true. Yeah. That's true. 
So he says, I, and I took a lot of notes because Waldo had so many great lines. He was Okay, is this the right time for me to tell you guys that I have added a new segment to the show? <laughs> yes, you might without, as well. <laughs> without consulting anyone. But... The people who have praised her. This is going to her head. <laughs> it can come later, but it's called Quotables. Quotables? I because love this. Mom, I'm it. Of, Write this down. I have a lot of quotables. Oh, my God. Yes. How have we not done? See? See how we needed you? Yeah. So there. So I'll let you. I'll just let you know that now. Okay. Excellent. I love it. Excellent. Because I did have to stop a couple times to be able to write down. And then I didn't get the whole quote written down. But he starts with, I shall never forget the weekend Laura died. And we're taking a tour of an apartment. And I didn't know if it was her apartment or his apartment. Turned out it was his. And it looked like a um, museum. It was very nice. Mm -hmm. So many... So many works to art. He's <laughs> a, a sophisticated, a rich, a rich, classy man. He started to write her story when another detective showed up. So it was obvious he'd already been questioned by a detective. And um, the clock strikes two. The clock two. Huh. Other in Laura's apartment. Yeah, there's um, a clock the same clock was also in Laura's apartment. Thank you. Yeah, there were two clocks. And we have Waldo's reveal. Aaron. Yeah, it's a, I believe it's a, could, the camera move is a whip pan because the camera's stationary and then it just flies across the room from the detective to see Waldo sitting in the, a bathtub. But like, how would you describe the bathtub? Was it a, like a marble bathtub? It wasn't... I mean, this is like my dream bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. Was it a bathroom or was it just his bedroom and a tub was in it? Because it's in a huge room. I think it's his bathroom. I do too. And it's like, it's not freestanding because it's attached to one wall, but then all three of the other sides are exposed. And it looks like it's marble all around. And he had um, almost teeny's... Um, what do you call that thing that goes across so he can have his typewriter on there? Yeah, just like I can use my laptop. He just yeah. had, he had everything he needed. Except Teenie's is way more secure than his. Because later, <laughs> when he's typing furiously, that thing is a wobbling. <laughs> because like, it's it, yeah, it swings around. Oh, excuse me, it swings around, so it's not secured on the one side. Um, okay, but yeah. here's my question. Also, did anyone think? Because I too love bathtubs and bath time i have one scheduled for later this evening Mm -hmm. um didn't did you find it that was it chilly i always i thought did they keep heating water and adding it yeah because it's just because the room his room is so big and it's not it didn't it was it's so there's so much air around him and everything that i i didn't get the sense that it was a nice warm bath experience he was having so then i wondered well is this in the summertime and so this is a nice cooling oh a cooling tub because i don't know maybe i was just freezing when i was watching it so i'm like that man but i did say when it was right we know what month it was right i didn't note it 
It was the hottest Sunday in his recollection. It was. Oh, okay. So, so there he we was go. doing a cooler. He mm-hmm. was doing the cooling bath. Makes sense. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and <laughs> he says, because the detective is like a man's man, you know, and he walks in there and he's like a little put off that he's seeing Waldo in the tub. There were no bubbles. Yeah, there was no bubbles. And uh, he says, yes, my home is lavish, but I call it home. That was a quotable. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so then he reads to this detective, Mark McPherson, what he had already told the other detectives. I started to write another quote, but all I got was most. (laughs) Oh, and then the detective um, introduces himself and Waldo goes into this thing. Oh, you're the detective from the Siege of Babylon, where evidently he walked right in to a gangster and there was a shootout. Yeah, well, the gangster was shooting up people and this Mark McPherson was the one that walked in and was, just took the bullets to his shin, apparently, and just fired back on the guy. Got him. Evidently, he had a leg full of lead. I never saw him limping. Uh-uh. No. That's been a nice leg. Yeah. Okay. And then there was a story about the Harrington murder. Oh, oh, because uh, McPherson goes, yeah, because um, Waldo is a newspaper writer. And he has, like, a gossip column, I guess. Yeah, I think he was, like, that guy in, uh, what was that movie that we did? The Sweet Smell of Success. How remember that guy was like a critic? Because you yes. know, like in this time, nineteen forty four, you're you're big time and you're known for like the newspapers were everything. So you were right. a columnist. You were in charge of what was going on in the world. The only reason this backstory is important is because Harrington said uh, he said that Harrington was murdered with buckshot at close range, and he wasn't. But that becomes important later. Um, but, but then, um, McPherson says he's going to go talk to the other suspects and Waldo goes, wait, I want to come along. And he lets him. Yeah. It was like, (laughs) you're a suspect. Why don't you tag along with me on this police official police business? Exactly. And they had a lot of banter back and forth. Do you have any quotables from that teeny? Um, I don't believe I do. Okay. And then he goes, were you in love with Laura and was she in love with you? Actually, I do have one. I think this is from there. I'm not sure when it came about, but my number one quotable is someone said, murder is my favorite crime. (laughs) I don't know who said it. (laughs) But it certainly fits. But I agree. Uh, yeah, and I agree. Oh, that's funny. I actually do have a quotable for later. That reminded me. Good. Okay. Um, and Waldo says she was the kindest, gentlest, most sympathetic person. She said that Waldo was the kindest, gentlest, most sympathetic person, and he tried to become that for her. But per per Waldo. So okay. Per, yeah. Okay, buddy. <laughs> at this point we meet miss treadwell who uh and laura was her niece so miss treadwell is laura's aunt who was broken up by this not (laughs) 
And she might have been the one that said murder is my favorite crime. Uh, she very case. well might have been. And uh, so, so the detective is asking her if she approved of the upcoming marriage between Laura and Mr. Carpenter. So this is the first time we've heard that Laura was engaged. And this aunt, to set it up, if you've seen Rebecca, she's was also in Rebecca. She has a very, I call it a very European face, like a very, like very British, no lips, very, and very like, um, no nonsense. Yeah. Not, not a woman who would grab the mic at open mic night and just start killing. Was she in a cat in a hot tin roof? Was she Big Daddy's girlfriend? I no, I thought no. I don't remember who she was. Okay, but I no, I don't remember. Okay, she's just a okay. very stern presence. Yes, like a like somebody Actually, who would run a boarding school, kind of like very kind of very German, actually. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, because um, uh, he's frequently at your home, and are you in love with him? Because we checked his bank account, and he's depositing money that you are giving him. So the aunt is giving the fian- her niece's fiancé money. Lots of money. And um, they said one day, they said that in one day she took out $1,700. So I checked it out, and today that would be $25,000 Yeah, in one day. Yeah, because I was thinking, you know, at one point it was $250, which is definitely going to be magnified in today's, and then $400, and then that, yeah. Um, But she's getting extremely frustrated with Waldo and his quips. Mm -hmm. Because Waldo has some quips. Waldo's a dandy. Waldy, uh, Waldy, Waldy Waldo is a dandy. And she said, I was just lending him money. Um, And at this point, we meet the young Vincent Price. (laughs) When Vincent Price talks, didn't you keep wanting him to swallow? I did. I, I, I did. That didn't occur to me. Oh, it did me. It was driving <laughs> me crazy. Because are you saying he's a the baby? Not smith, Waldo. No, Vincent mouth? Price, Carpenter. That he had a. Uh, what does that mean? That he he had a bit of a spitty mouth. I <clears throat> I felt like it was farther back in his throat. He wasn't a wet talker. Oh, interesting. But farther back in his throat, like just swallow, dude. <laughs> Which is making me really conscious and swallowing a lot right now. And um, he said that they were going to be married this week. But then the detective says Laura wasn't sure. And there was something about a male beauty in distress. <laughs> I, lo- I love your notes, Ma. I love them. <laughs> I, was, I have a lot of notes. I was writing fast. So... Evidently, at the time that Laura was murdered, Carpenter was at a concert. So the detective asks him what was playing, and he said whatever was supposed to be playing, what was advertised. (laughs) But at the concert, they switched it up and played (gasps) something else. So he's been caught in a lie. He's been caught in his first of many lies. Well, and also, when we find out that this was the man that they alleged that Laura was allegedly going to marry every one of us were like this guy did it 
Right. 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 At this point, every you're like, well, yeah, he he's the boyfriend, the fiance. He killed right. her. We're going to hear about it uh, from Georgia and Karen. Karen. <laughs> okay. Um, then we, and then they ask about a key. Did Vincent Price Shelby Carpenter, his mm-hmm. name's Shelby. Well, he's from Another. Kentucky. He's from Kentucky. More on that later. And um, did he have a key to the apartment? And he said no, but Laura must have one in her apartment. So he comes along to the murder scene. So it's Shelby, Waldo, and the detective. Just bring all the prime suspects. I would have done the same. If anyone I know ever gets murdered, I'm asking to come along too. Yeah, but the police are going to be like, no. Always wanted to be a part. (laughs) At least you'd have to put rubbers on your on your on your shoes and gloves on your hands and. Okay, so we go to uh, cut to outside Laura's apartment, and there's a mob outside the door. And there Murderinos. are more Waldo's. <laughs> yeah, and there are more Waldo quips. And they walk in, and Mark, the detective, is reconstructing the murder. The doorbell rang. The door opened. She had she had a buckshot. Okay. Shot to the face. Yeah, so this is the first time where, because, okay, this is 1944, so they had the, they had production codes in place, so they couldn't really right out say that this woman's head got blown off, but <laughs> her head got fucking blown off, and it was fun, like, me watching it, piecing it together, I thought, oh, she got shot, but then they... They just never write out say it. It's just implied. And when it dawns on you, the viewer of like, oh, it was a shotgun with, with blast to her face. You're like, oh, my God. It's a. <gasps> <laughs> yeah. So that's that's a violent just. Ooh. Ooh. So Mark had a quotable here. When a dame gets killed, she doesn't worry about how she looks. Yep, that was one of mine as well. <laughs> so he was always calling women dames and dolls. But he looks at the portrait and the stereo and puts the stereo on and of course it's the instrumental to the theme song. And um Oh so back to Vincent Price, he said uh, he fell asleep during the concert. So that's why he didn't know. He, he pulled a Larry David at Hamilton. <laughs> and so he didn't know what they played. And Vincent Price is looking for the extra key. And wow, he found it in her bedside table. And Mark goes, funny, it wasn't in there yesterday when the other detectives did a search of the premises. Dun, dun, dun. And so Vincent Price backpedals on his second lie he's caught in and says, well, he didn't want to give it to Mark in front of Waldo because it would look like they were having a more serious relationship than like if he had a. Then they were going to get married in a week. Well, but (laughs) but this was 44. So she would not have had a man in her bedroom. Oh, I do declare. Okay. Um. Okay, um, 
And and the detective keeps playing with one of these little um, puzzles. It's a handheld, the balls that have to go into the little... Which I told Adam, thank God we're quarantined now and not in 1944. <laughs> because that's the shit we would have to do at home. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. The kind that... The, you can still find in Party City to put can in. Can you imagine? Oh. That's what you would have to d- be playing. Yep. No video games, no DVDs, no Netflix. Nothing. Whatever no. Whatever was on the radio. <laughs> yeah. That's how it used to be, people. Oh, wow. Okay, so there was an orchestra playing the Laura theme. And is this where... Um, yeah, it flashes back to Waldo meeting Laura. And she was a young girl at an advertising firm. And she just goes up to him and she has an ad for a, a pen, an ink pen. And he wa- she wants him to endorse it because that would be huge for the advertising firm. And she just walks up to him at lunch and he has several. He's, he's mean to her. He is very mean. Mm-hmm. And he's like, woman, do you see that I, I'm eating my lunch here and I'm not going to be disturbed? And she just keeps going. She pulls out the thing and he goes, I don't even use a pen. And um, he says, uh, Quotable. I, use a, I use a goose quill dipped in venom. Mm-hmm. And she goes, well, I, I had this ad made up all on my own. And then she goes, OK, dude, you're just selfish. And you write about people like you have real understanding, but you're just a lonely old man. Oh. Oh. And so <laughs> he, he uh, next scene, he is at her ad agency and he goes to see her. Uh, he said he just had to see her again. And he walks in and it's a room full of people without the cubicles that you see today. Mm-hmm. And I love how easy it was for him to sneak in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's just, no security whatsoever. He just walked in. Yeah. And he's Waldo. So, yeah. And he says to the person in front, I wish to speak to Laura Hunt. Mm-hmm. And she calls uh, over the crowd, uh, just tell him that I'm busy. And so she doesn't even want to deal with him. So he walks over and apologizes to her in front of everyone, which I think was pretty huge for him. Yeah, and but she was, says, he was a dick. Like, it's not like he was in the the wrong. It's true that he didn't have to apologize. So, but also, it's G- Laura looks like Jean Tierney. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so she says, "Your apology is accepted now. Goodbye." And at this point, he says, "I would like to endorse your ad." So that just catapults her. She's big time now. She's big big time time now. And she says, my goodness, you're really sorry for how you acted. And so he says, I'm going to call for you at six. And her career began. He gave her her start, but she had the talent. (laughs) You're making a face, a duck face. Oh, okay. He seemed, oh, because he told her how to... Um, she had an eager mind, but he had to improve her appearance. It's a, and, what is that, Pygmalion? Like, yeah. my fair lady kind of thing? So she deferred to my judgment in, 
and taste in her hair and her clothes. And I said he was the perfect gay friend that everybody wants who will tell you the truth and help you be your best self. Yeah, but but not I wouldn't say perfect because well, no. In the beginning it seemed. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Okay. But he was but he also had, you know, a mean streak and stuff. Oh yeah. You would yeah. have to be aware of. But it seems like she was an extremely forgiving person. Well, she was very ambitious. She wanted to to you know, get up in the advertising agency in the ad game. But frankly, she wanted to be something that wasn't a teacher, a nurse, or a secretary in 1944. So yeah. that's ambition. That's true. To even think that way. He said she had authentic magnetism. So Tuesdays and Friday nights, they always stayed at his home and had dinner at home. But then one Tuesday, she couldn't come. And then Friday, she canceled. And he felt betrayed. So he walked to her apartment and saw that she was not alone. Yeah, he was stalking her. And he waited. And he saw Jacoby, the painter of her portrait, come out. Now, did you think that that was a painting? Or I thought it was a photograph. I have a nerd alert about it. Okay. We'll get to it later. Well, okay. You want me to do it now? It was brought up. I'm going to do it. Okay, so I there were a couple directors on this. Yes. And the first director had a wife who was an artist. Yes. The f- that she wore a kimono. She did wear a kimono. And <laughs> she p- painted, I think, one or two portraits of Laura. Ruben Mambulian. Yeah. And when Otto Preminger came onto the project... Well, he he, was always attached to it, but he was... Well, I guess we'll get into it now. So Daryl F. Zanuck was away. We've done a bunch of Daryl F. Zanuck stuff. He was away in World War II because he wasn't like Universal's president's son and, you know, the guy that was being chauffeured around. Daryl F. Zanuck was like, no, I want to be in this shit and... he's done a whole bunch of movies and we've covered him he was like partying and did a whole bunch of stuff with like prince philip and all this kind of stuff so he's out of world war ii while he's there there's um i believe his name is goats is in charge of 20th century fox and that's when this whole the movie comes and stuff but preminger and zanuck did not get along so when zanuck came back he was like, wait, you have, you're working with Preminger? No. So as punishment to Preminger, he said, you can only produce this film. You can't direct it. And that's when they brought on this Rubin guy. And also because during the stage adaptation, Preminger and the, novel, the novelist, the woman who came up with the story, they butted heads on where the adaptation would go. So then this guy comes in and, yeah, his wife does, the, does a whole bunch of the paintings and stuff. And then they shoot a bunch of dailies. This guy had, and he wouldn't listen to anything that Otto Preminger had to say. And then finally, and that he was very hands-off with the actors. And there was a bunch of, it was very tumultuous on the set. No one really knew what was going on because you could tell that the director and the act and the producer were fighting. And once Daryl F. Zanuck saw the dailies that were being produced, like the woman who was playing um, 
Treadway and Treadwell or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. the great, the dame, she was playing it to the rafters like she was on a Broadway stage. And Zanuck looked at that and was like, what the hell is this? What are you doing? My guy, what's going on? And so Zanuck, who did not like Preminger, but knew enough to be like, my movie's getting messed up, fired him. And then was like, fine, Preminger, you take over control. So then Preminger came on board, and one of the first things he did was like, this portrait? No, it's got to go. So he basically just did a photograph of Gene Tierney because he was like, look at Gene Tierney, look. And does like, and they did something where like the light could be shown through it, so that's why it illuminates such. Mm. And... Like, yeah, like we need this. We need this woman to be smoking hot. So that the reason that everybody is lusting after her and stuff, it's Laura. Watch, watch me shine. And so and I read that they put some paint on it in different areas to smear it a little bit. So it looked more like a painting than a photograph. Yeah. So they, they basically <clears throat> did what you can do now in on your cell phone where you take a picture and then they just kind of applied oils to it and stuff to right. make it look like. Right. A painting, but really, it's just a photograph of this strikingly beautiful woman. Exactly. Okay, so um, Waldo was jealous of Jacoby, the, the painter, and so he did a column about him, and he ridiculed him, and said it was a labor of love because he knew that Jacoby was not the right person for Laura. Yeah. So what's his face is basically just cock blocking the suitors in his using his column to be like this guy is no good he sucks these are all the reasons why and everyone's reading this column including laura so she's reading it being like my god this guy does suck okay so there's a party at ann treadwell's and this is where laura meets shelby carpenter and they dance at this point shelby tells her his family is from kentucky and um, Waldo asks if they were sharecroppers. No, he doesn't ask. He, he says, yeah, they were sharecroppers. But he had money from Kentucky in 1944. So I'm just going to go with, yeah, it was a plantation. <laughs> <clears throat> and uh, Shelby and Laura are in the kitchen. And Waldo tells her she's wasting her time. She's got good sense. Um, because Shelby isn't doing any kind of a job. He is living on the income from the estate. (laughs) Wink, wink. (laughs) (laughs) Until the sheriff took it away. And so she says, do you need a job? I can give you a job. So she does give him a job, and they start to date, and they have dinner dates. And, um, yeah. Um, At this point, Laura puts on a hat that looks like it's Sparky's ears. <laughs> I didn't even notice. The hat with the, it's flat on the top and then it has, it's folded back. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and she says she's helping him and, and um, Waldo tries to tell her about his past and what a jerk he is. And, and she, he even has a, a, private investigator report and she says i only care about the president no the president <laughs> <laughs> the <gym's laughs> kicking in people 
I was like, damn, I don't remember that part. I'm like, oh, she really liked Roosevelt, huh? Cool. Um, and Shelby is running around with other women. Um, and so she had given Shelby a sterling cigarette case. But Waldo found it in a pawn shop. Because Shelby had given it to this um, model at the ad agency, and she had pawned it for cash. And so, I mean, he broke her heart. Yeah. Crickets. Okay. No, I never thought that she was... It's weird because... It's hard for me when it's in, in these time periods because, you know, they're not... you know. It's a woman, and so everybody's like, oh, she's got to get married. So I don't know how much she really loved him and how I much it I was didn't... like, oh, I got to get married, and he'll do. Yeah, that's what I felt like, too. Uh, he was a dandy. And so um, Waldo goes, hey, he's dining at Ann's right now. So this dude, this Shelby, Vincent Price, dining at her aunt's house who he takes money from mm-hmm. while being engaged to her to be married next week. Mm-hmm. If if you're Shelby, it's a night, it's a win-win. <laughs> if you're anybody else, it's not. <laughs> if you're anyone and, else, you're like, this guy's a loser. So they walk in and the apartment is dark because she goes, he's not there. I know he's not there. And then they go to a back part of the apartment and there they are eating. And Shelby's like, yeah, hey, come sit down. (laughs) Won't you join us? (laughs) Yeah, no problem. So glad to see you. Okay, she takes out the cigarette case, throws it on the table, and she's done with him. Well, evidently she really likes the sparky ears hat because she has a different one. (laughs) And it's Friday Uh, Friday is the day that Laura was killed. And Diane Redfern lives in Brooklyn. (laughs) Brooklyn! In the house! Brooklyn in the house! (laughs) And um, so Laura was going to go to the country and think things over and see if she was going to marry Shelby or not. Still, after all this? It's it's 1944. She's a a woman of... She's over 17. She's got to get married. Everyone's telling her she's got to get married. At this point, I mean, Mark is spending a lot of time in Laura's apartment. He's practically moved in. <laughs> well, and every the, time he he's saw on that the picture telephone, of her. <laughs> did you see that hideous lace lampshade? I didn't notice. Oh, my God. How could you not notice it was hideous? Okay. Well, Mark calls the liquor store because there's some kind of cheap liquor in her liquor cabinet. It was cheap scotch. <laughs> that made me laugh so hard. I'm like, my God, I have a like an okay to decent bottle of scotch, and wow, scotch! It made me reevaluate anyone who's ever like, I'll have scotch. That it says something about a person. It's like drinking a, a, a chimney alcohol. No, it's like drinking a rubbing alcohol that's been try like a chimney. You put ashes in it. Well, the maid comes in and and the maid is rather skitterish. And the maid is going, who killed her? And um, he asks if the maid put the bottle of liquor there. And she said no. 
And she said she had found it in the bedroom, the bottle of scotch. Oh, the cheap scotch. <laughs> so she put it in the cabinet so that no one would come in and go, oh, Laura was drinking cheap scotch <laughs> with cheap Shelby. <laughs> yeah, because like I said, you once you have scotch, you're automatically, you're like, ah, people who drink scotch. Mm. Got it. Because I really, I've never had top shelf scotch, and I never will because I won't pay for it. But I can't see how it's too different from rot gut. Um, and she washed the glasses and everything. So she washed all the fingerprints off. At this point, Shelby and Anne come into the crime scene. <laughs> and he offers them drinks. Would you like some cheap scotch? <laughs> exactly. And Anne takes some and Shelby doesn't. Um, he drinks a lot on the job. Well, wait a second. I be- isn't this like the most quotable part? This is actually going to be the quote for the movie. I've decided. I wondered how you would pick. Oh, well, actually, I wrote down something else. But, uh, well, I guess we'll get to it. It's in my, I wrote it down in my reheatables because I was just like taken aback by this guy and what he said. I was like, oh, what? I didn't write it down. It's raining. The detective goes back to Laura's apartment and he just stares at the portrait. Now, this is when I walked in on it in high school. I remember that part. (laughs) The portrait. Yeah. And and with the music and I I got hooked. (laughs) And it's a long time where he's thinking and there's no dialogue. Yeah. And he pours a drink. And I mean, there's a long time of him walking around the apartment. He's just detectiving. He's getting the vibes, man. Yeah, while getting his buzz on. The doorbell rings. I mean, wouldn't you be careful of answering the door to anybody after she got buckshotted in the face? Also, though, I while we never see the floor, I don't think, but clean up, because. It's alluded to that she got buckshot to the face. So I'm thinking... There had to be a massive amount of Massive amounts of blood. On the walls. Everywhere. On that clock. Oh, yeah. The spatter. Yeah. Oh, there would be brains. There's another scene of a a shooting that will happen, but there's there's no blood. I was like, oh, this is back back before people bled when they got shot. I I believe that that's part of the code, the um, production code. Oh, I'll bet. Yeah. Um, Yeah, we can't show too much. Okay. So uh, Waldo comes in and goes, what are you, subletting the place now? (laughs) Um, uh, And then Waldo sees that Mark has been reading her letters in her diary. And he objects to him prying into Laura's letters. Um, and then he says, have you ever dreamed of Laura as your wife? Mm-hmm. Crazy, crazy house. Crazy house. What, what was the crazy house? Anybody got anything for the crazy house? Crazy house doesn't <laughs> ring a bell here. Oh, because I think Waldo was going to put him in a crazy house because he's a He's a patient who fell in love with a corpse. Oh. And at this point, Mark is drinking Drambuie because it's that three-sided jug, little jug of... Oh, the Drambuie. That's what my grandpa would drink, right? Yeah. 
Wait, what kind of liquor is that? I think it might be an after-dinner drink that helps settle your stomach. I'm, I'm not gonna, sure. We'll have to I'm do gonna some. I'm going to look it up, see if it's on Drizzly. <laughs> yeah, uh, the bottle's cool because it's three-sided and it's dimpled in on each side. Um, at this point, people, if we have hooked you, I need for you to stop now, go watch the movie, and come back to us. Yeah. Because we have a spoiler. Mm-hmm. So this is this is a murder mystery. It's great. If you have a find yourself with a bunch of time on your hands now, go in. It's just uh, two hours. Yeah, go it's and watch it. two hours. Watch it. It's really good. It's a true film noir. Bye-bye. Okay, are you back with us? All right. Because now, now at this can, point. Now we can dish. He falls, he falls asleep. And you're not sure if he's dreaming or if this really happens because Laura walks in. I was like, what? (gasps) Drink. Everybody drink. Well, Marcos, what are you doing here? Again, I wasn't sure if he was dreaming because at this point he had fallen in love with her or if she was really in the apartment. And then he goes, you're alive. And she doesn't know what happened. And he said, you you haven't read the paper? <laughs> she said, I don't get a paper out in the cabin in the woods. I don't. My radio was broken. And she's in shock. And he goes, well, we need to find out who was murdered and who murdered her. <laughs> I still got a case I got to solve. And it's even more complicated now. So now we know it's for real. She's really alive. So uh, Laura goes into her bedroom and finds a dress of Diane Redford's in her closet. Yeah, da, she da, she comes out real fast of just like, this yeah. is not my dress. Yeah, yeah. So now Laura is a suspect. In this new murder. Well, yeah, everything is on the table at this point. Who knows what's going on? And he's not so smitten with her that he's not going, wait a minute. You didn't know anything about this. And nobody saw you. And um, the police went to your cabin on Saturday and there was nobody there. Oh, I went for a long walk. Um, and he said, did you know he would be bringing her here Friday night? Meaning Shelby would be bringing Diane to her apartment? What oh, a jerk. Disrespect. And she said, I didn't leave the house. I didn't use the phone. And I did decide not to marry her. Him. And him. <laughs> or her. And uh, so Mark leaves the house. And he says, don't let anybody know you're alive. Okay. And she, she's like, but but there are people who need to know. <laughs> and, um, she started- and, he, and he said, don't use the phone. And as soon as he turns around, <laughs> she puts her hand on the phone. It's like when, it's like during this show when they've been like, Nobody leave your house. As soon as they say that, you want to leave your house. Exactly. Yeah. As soon exactly. as you tell, like, I'm, I'm a uh, basically a hermit, and I'm like, oh man, I can't go to a bar now. <laughs> I know. I never wanted to before. Yeah. But it sounds like a lot of fun at the moment. Just like, well, well, damn it. Okay. At this point, the detective gets uh, the ME's report, and they find out that it is indeed 
Diane Redfern, da, 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 <gasps> who was murdered, face blown off instead <laughs> of <laughs> Laura. Um, well, so she calls Shelby. She wasn't supposed to, but they have a they have a wiretap. And Shelby goes, don't talk on the phone. Meet me out front. <laughs> and then hot. he drops her off. So Mark goes to tail Shelby. And Shelby goes to the cabin in the country. And there's a shotgun over the fireplace. The detective comes in. The shotgun has been fired. And he said we were killing rabbits. <gasps> Rascally. <laughs> People got to eat. And- and uh, he goes, you knew all along it was Diane who was married. Well, <laughs> Murdered, Ma. <laughs> what did I say, Mary? <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Okay, I'll stop talking soon. It was Black Pony Scotch, and there is Black Pony Scotch in the cabin. Anyway, Diane was coming over to dinner at Laura's. He was going to cut her off. Diane opened the door. She had her mules on. What are mules? Mules are shoes that don't have a back. Now, oh, how like did the, like those Price know what mules like are? Like those slippers the, that you got me. Yes. Uh-huh. Only they usually have a heel to them. Yeah. I love and the mule. Di- and, and Diane opened the door. She had her mules on. He heard the shotgun. <laughs> Uh, she was laying there on the floor. He stepped over her. He was like, I got to get out. <laughs> and he stepped over before the blood started to pool. It has been one hour. Woo, good I'm, job. I'm out. You guys take over. <laughs> oh, it's going to get silly. Okay. So, whew, a lot happened in that hour. There's still an hour to go. Yeah. Almost an hour to go. So there's still more to happen. Uh, people of color? None. They do not exist. (laughs) Not even spoken of. No. Okay, nerd alerts that you haven't already told us. I've got some. Does anybody else have any? No nerd alerts here. No nerd alerts. Oh, man. Buckle up, guys. Uh, Thank you. Somebody else. All right. So Vincent Price, who plays Shelby Carpenter, the the man who just tiptoed out over the model with her face blown off to get out. And knew what mules were. And knew what mules were. He was, in real life, an an art collector and an art consultant. He had an art history degree from Yale University. Damn, I did not know that. In 1957, he and his wife Mary donated 90 pieces of work to establish the Vincent Price Art Museum at East Los Angeles College in Monterey Park, California, because he wanted an opportunity for people to experience original works of art firsthand. And this was the first, quote, teaching art collection owned by a community college in the United States. We might have to go there sometime if it, I ever get to come see you again. If it ever happens. Um, they ended up donating 2,000 pieces of work to this. And per Wikipedia, at the time, the Wikipedia said it has over 9,000 pieces in it and it's valued over $5 million. Wow. And Vincent Price was also a gourmet cook. 
He has numerous cookbooks. He made numerous television appearances about cooking. One was cited was on uh, the Johnny Carson show where he taught people how to post poach fish in dishwater. Oh, gross. Yeah. So, but he was, he was, this guy was so, he had so many different hobbies and people liked him. He was um, friends with the British rock band Deep Purple and they have a song called Vincent, Vincent Price. There's, Uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, nothing. I was just laughing. Um, wasn't he a singer too? He probably dabbled, he dabbled in a lot of things. Tim Burton, one of his first um, short films was called Vincent. It was a stop motion film, and it was about a boy who was obsessed with the macabre. Uh, Because, you know, after this, he went on to be, he's famous for being in horror films and horror film villains and stuff. But he, by all accounts, and he was one of those guys that was also, like, very vocal about racism and... Um, you know, not persecuting people on by race and religious freedom oh, wow. and stuff. Yeah, by all accounts, I'm like Vincent Price was a about it, about dude. it, like decent dude. Okay. Um. Then also, like film noir, as we've discussed in our other film noirs, there's always the distrust of the police. But it was interesting in this film, McPherson is a member of the police department. He's not a private investigator. Right. And that's a, a departure from other typical oh. film noirs. Oh, okay. And then, so then I was thinking about it because it's 1944. And 1944 was also a leap year, by the way. This was like the war, World War II was big time, all consuming. So Vincent Price didn't serve? Uh, I'm guessing not because D Day was in 19. 19- was in june of this year this movie was released in october and in june that was d-day so this was big time war and if you'll remember at the end of it it said about war bonds and like how you could buy your war bonds at the theater so i looked up war bonds and according to investmentopedia a war bond is a debt security issued by a government to finance military operations during times of war investment Mm -hmm. in war bonds was made through an emotional appeal to patriotic citizens to lend the government money as these bonds offered a return offered a rate of return below the market rate so okay uh that's interesting my own nerd alert vincent price was born in kaiser west virginia he was a graduate of potomac state college and washington and lee university law school he served in the Army Air Forces in the Navy during World War II. Oh. So um, bravo all around, Vincent Price. Exactly. So I was thinking I was thinking about McPherson because he was a young man. This is 1944, I'm assuming that it's not a period piece. And I was like, well, wait a second. What about the police? Didn't they go off to war? And then it struck me because I was also with his, you know, how his game and he was also he was so even keeled. And that's why he played that game was to make him seem calm. And as somebody who is um, very perceptive and aware of when my anger flares up and like trying to remain calm and stuff so that I don't have an anger issue because I'm aware of it. 
and like monitoring it, I thought it was very interesting how he was using that baseball game as like, oh, I do it to keep calm. And so when when Walter or when Waldo was trying to poke at him, he would go to the baseball game because you have to have control over it and it keeps him calm. And then so that made me think like, oh, this guy is he's obviously like, you know, there's anger beneath the surface because he got shot and he had the leg full of shin. He was yeah, probably for F and he couldn't go go to the war. And that yeah. probably Good made him point. very angry. And that was why he probably needed to have something to get his anger out. Because while all his buddies are over there mm-hmm. invading Europe, he's stuck here being a detective and so that's when I was like, oh, because I wondered about the police and like yeah. all the detectives having to go out. Who's detectiving? So those were my. Oh, and then my final nerd alert, which we had alluded to earlier when we did Heaven Can Wait, was with Gene Tierney. Oh, this is sad. And it has to do with her daughter who was born prior to this movie being filmed. So Jean Tierney was pregnant with her daughter and she was at the Hollywood Canteen, which was where a whole bunch of the stars, they did this thing where it was basically a nightclub and all the stars would go because the Hollywood servicemen who were on their leave would get to go and dance with famous women like Betty Davis and Joan Crawford and Jean Tierney, anyone who was anyone during the war, you know, to keep their morale and to be like, hey, thank you guys for doing what you're doing. And there was a outbreak of rubella, which was AKA German measles. And if you had that, you were supposed to be quarantined because it was very bad for anyone who was, for anyone, but especially anyone who was pregnant. Especially newly pregnant. Newly pregnant. And so someone was a huge fan of Jean Tierney, broke the quarantine, had to meet her, met her when she was newly pregnant with her daughter. She became infected with rubella. And as a result, her Daria was born, um, I believe, deaf and partially blind and had severe mental developmental issues and needed to be institutionalized. And Howard Hughes was the one that made sure and paid for Daria's care for the rest of her life. So that she got top-notch care. But, yeah, and also Jean Tierney had suffered from manic depression most of her, like, all of her life. And in the the late 50s and stuff, went through shock, electroshock treatment, (gasps) which um, was... Yeah, I guess we get a drink to that. Um, it didn't go so well, and she became an outspoken person against electroshock therapy yeah. treatment. Like, you know, she was dealing with manic depression in the 40s and 50s when it's you just now coming. That. Like, it's just only just now in the 2020s that people are starting to talk about it and that they're is really science behind it and trying to understand it and help people out with it. So that like, it it just, the reason I wrote it down as a nerd alert was because she was so strikingly beautiful that 
it's one of those things where you look at her and like, oh, yeah, look at her. She's wealthy and you've got everything. And to her, she suffered from low self-esteem because she thought her teeth protruded. And so she often spoke through the side of her mouth and she tried to have her teeth fixed in the 40s and people refused to because they were like, no, that's part of your like it just works for you. Like other people, I'm not going to mess you up. Like, I'm not going to be the one that messes this up. And that she had like her mental issues. And then she was so striking that it like she was so beautiful that somebody broke quarantine because they had to meet her and put her at risk. And then her kid ends up, you know, living their life because it's just really the classic. She was so beautiful. She was cursed kind of thing. Yeah. A lot of actors, actresses, people of acting seem to have mental health and Mm -hmm. insecurity issues. And you wonder, is it is it that like part of it is genetics because their parents Mm -hmm. and the genes. But then also part of it, I would also assume would be because I wouldn't know, but being treated (laughs) like being identified and treated as such so young and especially if you're a woman just the predatory eyes of of other men and stuff on you and when you're so vulnerable at such an early age that that imprints on you and then any other genes that get passed down through your family and their craziness that was never discussed just just uh cluster also it is a public service announcement stay home mofos yeah if you're under quarantine like stay home watch laura listen to us this too will pass maybe (laughs) okay uh reheatables Okay, I'll go. Um, my negative reheatables were, I know it was the 40s, but the detective calling all women dolls and dames. Yeah. I have a question, though, about the dame. I did. I forgot to look it up. Um, because Lydicker was so, like, oh, you called her a dame. But then in British, that's a term of, of royalty, of, of esteem to be a dame. I think it's how you use it. Yeah. A lowercase d and an uppercase <laughs> d make a big difference. Just like an er and an a. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the the sparky ears hats. I don't. I didn't see any. You have to go back and look. I, don't I see remember any what reason. you're talking about now. It does make. Yeah, it, oh they are God. very cocker spaniel hats. <laughs> The, the eyelet lace lampshade. Yes, my wedding dress was eyelet lace, but I didn't make it into a... <gasps> but I have time now. You can. <laughs> Dude, drinking on the job. Dude did a lot of drinking on the job. I plead the fifth. Um, And he just... He broke into Waldo's apartment. No warrant. Broke it literally broke in. Yeah, he's a policeman. No warrant. I'm following the case. The fact that that her her biggest suitor stalker appears to be a bit on the gay side. (laughs) And her fiance knows what mules are. I'm just saying. She has a type. The way he pulls the gun out of the uh, spoiler alert out of the clock no no plastic gloves no the no. first time oh yeah they couldn't he, be bothered 
checks the ammo. I mean, the fingerprints are ruined at this point. Um, well, we've already established the, the lack of respect for crime scene containment. Yeah, yeah, there is no crime scene. And uh, Shelby, when he sees everything else is ruined, ask an Anne to marry him. <laughs> Got no other choice. And what did she was, say though? Because she was the one who was, I mean, she was ride or die for Shelby, and she had means and money, and she was just like, "I like this guy." Yeah, she was gonna marry him. Yeah, and he was gonna philander and do what he did with his Kentucky lifestyle, <laughs> sharecropping Kentucky lifestyle. Next, teeny. Um, okay, my negative reheatables, where are we here? A couple off-putting quotes about women. <laughs> yes. Um, and when he offered, he was like, oh, I got to fix your hair and buy you some better clothes. Yeah. <laughs> when she was perfect. Um, and there was another one that he said something else about women that I will find, I'm sure. Whenever you find it, just was just... that when he was when she first walked up to him at the yes. yeah, and it was about how women aren't civil. Like he could tell that she was a woman because she wasn't civilized. Yes, and he was like, "I'm sure you are part of the oh oh here it is." Um, you've been raised in some incredibly rustic community where young manner where good manners are unknown, or you suffer from the common feminine delusion that the mere fact of being a woman exempts you from the rules of civilized conduct or possibly both. Ouch. Yeah. Ouch. That dude. I mean, yeah. Damn. Um, there was some chain smoking, you know? Yeah. Lots of smoking. Yeah. Um, and then are we going for pos- for good reheatables or holding off on those? Oh, I saw, uh, let me do my bad reheatables okay, first. You can do your bad ones. Uh, yeah, mine was like that civilized comment before. Okay, my quotable, which is also my bad reheatable, was when Shelby said, was offered a drink and he was like, I'm not much of a day drinker. <laughs> Who are you? I was personally offended. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Shelby, you are missing out on so much fun. It's yeah. way better than night drinking. Yeah. Seeing as how you started about 11 today, yes? And that was late, honestly, for the weekend. <laughs> I'm usually doing the hot toddy in the morning. It's fantastic. Um. Oh, and then my other battery heatable. Okay, also the the pants situation of the men and how high-waisted yes. their pants were in the yes. 40s was hilarious. And then, okay, when my girl Bessie, who is the maid, comes in, she had already had a scene earlier where she demonstrated how much she freaking loved Laura. Yes. Also, she was the one that found the head blown off a body. So that's some PTSD right there. (laughs) So then they're at Laura's place when Laura is alive. McPherson hides behind the wall, lets Bessie just walk in. Bessie freaks the fuck out as you would because she's like, I saw your, your head was blown off. Yeah. And you're alive. She's freaking out. And... (laughs) Laura's like, oh, Laura, oh, Bessie, oh, a ghost. Uh, Hey, you know, could you pull yourself together and make me some coffee and eggs? I know! (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, you've had a stressful time, but I'm hungry. Go get to work. I understand that, like, you have suffered from some a significant emotional event and some trauma, and you'll probably need to talk to somebody about it, but you can't because you can't afford it. But make me some coffee and eggs, please. <laughs> this corpse is hungry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do what you do best. I did have one more negative reheatable. Okay. When Laura first walked in her apartment and the detective is like, oh, my God, you're alive. And he leaves her. She goes around turning the lights off. I mean, somebody had just come to kill her and she's turning the lights off. Well, also, no. also the a bad reheatable is how she's like, I will call the cops. And he's like, I am a cop. And he yeah, takes out I his badge and just flashes it at her. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Examine that. Get get on yes. the phone. Call the police department. Make sure that he is a policeman. Fuck politeness. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, positives. My positives were all of Waldo's quips. Mm -hmm. The suspense that's built in this. Yeah, because you're like, who did? I think I thought Shelby did it, but now I don't. What is going on? Done it. He's a like. He doesn't like women. Um, my MVP, which I'm not going to say at this point, okay. um, punch, hmm, who got punched? Oh, somebody did. Oh, Shelby got punched in the stomach. Yes. Yes. That was good. And Waldo's vocabulary. Yeah, he's a writer. Waldo had an immense vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Okay. Teeny. Well, my positive reheatables were, let's see here. Um, the, they all had very nice, this was before all of the New York City apartments got chopped up. And yes. Lavish. They, yes. They're all gigantic, had big windows, and they were very nicely furnished. Yes. So is that what um, happened? The, the, then they, they just chopped up the, those yeah. apartments that were so Yeah, big? they wanted to fit in more people, as many people in. Get as much so, as possible. Yeah. However, there were a lot of pa- flower, floral patterns. Yes. Mixing. Yes. Okay. Um, Adam liked their outfits because they were getting dressed up to go everywhere. <laughs> yes. He, he likes that? Before. Yes, he enjoyed that. Because he is such a guy who dresses yeah, up. Yeah, he's so suave and debonair. Oh, yeah, well, you know, we don't do that these days. No, we don't. Um, it's true. And then one of my very current reheatables, in the beginning when he's talking about when she died, he said, I felt as if I were the only human being left in New York. And I said, well, that's exactly what it feels like now when you go outside. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And isn't that a Paul Simon song? The only living boy in New York? People have time to look it up. I believe it is a famous Paul Simon song. Wow. Okay, Aaron. Um, okay, my good reheat, like, you know, good isn't always assigning good. I'm just like, it is relevant in these times. Exactly. The shotgun to the face. I was like, <laughs> when I realized, like, oh my God, she got her face blown off. That's why nobody, know- that's why she, I didn't realize it until she walked through the door. And then it was like, oh yeah, there's this woman's dress. I was like, oh, her face got blown off. Buckshot. Buckshot has Damn. shots going everywhere. Yeah. All right. L- Lydecker. So many great things. His tub. 
the fact that yeah, the fact that he walked great. around with a cane but didn't need it, but just <laughs> had it. When he when the scene where he's in her apartment and he's just like, well, she's dead. I'm gonna take back my thing. This vase, <laughs> That's mine. It's mine. That's mine. Mine. <laughs> mine. And Shelby's like, well, you can't do that. And the cops like, no, you can't just take your stuff. And he's like, it's my stuff. Um, I lent it to her. Yeah. Also, like we find out later why he needed that stuff back. Oh, we do. Okay. Okay. Yeah. How I also liked how um, I read an article on Sense of Cinema by Mar- Matthew Sornieto. Well done. And how it pointed out because I was I'm like Jean Tierney. Okay, she's dropped dead gorgeous, but she hasn't ever really captivated me with her acting. I'm always like. And I don't know, maybe it's me and knowing her backstory and everything that happened to her that I can't fully digest her performances. It mm-hmm. could be. But she, he kind of points out, because I was reading some um, reviews at the time, and they kind of said, some of people pointed out that Jean Tierney, her perf- they said that her performance wasn't great in it that you know it's this whole Laura it's this build up and then we finally see her but this Matthew guy he points out that her performance is actually really good because it points out how no woman could live up to the build up of Laura right and that she had to she was navigating a minefield because all of the men who were in her life were trying to bring her down in some way or detrimental to her or or make her beholden to them yes exactly trying to to own her in, own in her. some yeah. way um and, and that could be what happened to her real life and yeah and also how her you know death and the death of the other person was actually be due to an offense of male fragile masculinity. It was yeah. an offense to fragile masculinity is what I'm trying to say in yes. my jintong. Um, <laughs> jintong. Jintong. It's called jintong. I also really liked Dana Andrews as the cop. And I, I liked how he was so closed off and you there was just something going on and that's what actually made me go down the whole rabbit hole of like well who is this guy and doing more research and kind of piecing it together myself and just the baseball game because I did pick up on like wait he's a cop this is a film noir I thought that cops weren't supposed to be all you know up in film noir like they're not supposed to like them um and then I also liked how they couldn't just say <laughs> they couldn't say what they wanted to say because of the production code. So they had to go around everything and not yeah. say what was right in front of their face. Right. They had to be like, oh, you know, she was killed. And then it was up to the audience to be like, oh, her face got blown off. And that and the aunt, you know, supporting Shelby was that. You know, she was having an affair with her niece's fiance and with a gigolo. Yeah, like there was a lot of things that you as the audience had to fill in the pieces for yourself. Right. The maid I, had to take the black 
whatever scotch out of the bedroom and put it back in the liquor cabinet. Yeah, for all of these reasons. Okay. Well, my MVP yes. is you don't even see it. You just hear it when Waldo faints. Waldo walks <laughs> in the apartment and sees that Laura is alive and he just faints. Just it was, you just hear boom, boom, boom. Yeah, and then when it, I believe it does another whip pan to him, and he's like, he's just on his knees, just yeah. And Laura's mad at the detectives, going, "This is just too cruel to people." (laughs) Anybody else with an MVP? My MVP is the bathroom. Yeah. Yes. The bathtub. It is your dream bathtub. That is. But you need some jets in that bathtub, then yeah. something that's going to keep the water warm. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I had, okay, so I had some runner-ups. Um, Bessie, I thought, was... I love Bessie. She had three scenes, and all three of her scenes, she made it known. She yeah. just was so good at the whale, and she was just so loyal and was just put through the ringer, this poor woman. Um. Also... Lydicker, as you mentioned, because oh he, he was great. Clifton Webb was freaking great in this role. He was. Then I, I kind of have to before you to my MVP. Maybe, um, uh, maybe nominate a new category, perhaps. Uh, biggest loser, <laughs> like least valuable player. Oh, I love that. least valuable player. Because that would go to the real villain who I didn't even remember her name, the Redfern woman, because <laughs> she was just this woman really did have her face blown off. And what was her name? Who even knows? Who even knows? Who could be bothered? Did we even see her alive? We, we never saw her, saw her alive. We just saw yeah. a picture of her at the beginning of it was like, oh, here's this model. She has a, a bit of a resemblance to me. And that it's like she's the one that really got her face blown yeah. off, but whatever. Footnote. So she's the most valuable loser in this film. My MVP would be, um, I think it's McPherson because he's a detective and he falls in love. It's it's really somebody it was with one of those two articles I mentioned, but how this is really a detective's dream come true. He's he's detectiving. <laughs> he's investigating the murder of a woman, and he he's falling in love with the woman. So this whole time he's going around finding out all this information. It's like the pre courtship. He's you know finding all about her. He's there's this, he's in her apartment. He's talking to friends. He's hearing all these stories about her. He's falling in love. He's in her apartment. And then she walks through the door. Yeah. <laughs> alive. Yeah. And it's yeah. just like, ugh, this guy and Remember, wins. he's probably pretty buzzed because he'd been drinking that. He'd been, yeah, he'd been drinking. And then she walks through the door. And then, he, you know, he's a cop. And it's 1944, so you have to think of the eligible bachelors available. Oh. For, <gasps> I hadn't even thought of that. For Laura. So, I mean, he's pretty much, like, he's on third base. It's up to him not to fuck this up at this point. 
<laughs> he brought somebody back from the dead. Yeah, and solved the murder and, and saved her life. I have to let our listeners know that at this point, Mac is sitting on Christine's lap. <laughs> he is our fourth person on Gone with the Bush. Such a sweetheart. Okay, we are to my favorite recasting. I have two. I only have one. I don't have any, so I'll let you guys go, and then I'll do my potables. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Okay, so I have my first cast is... Okay, I'm going to start with Laura, because Laura was the drop-dead gorgeous person at the time. I'm going with Charlize. Yeah. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. So her Shelby, the one who is going to be a philanderer and looking out for himself all the time, first and foremost, and then marrying the her aunt because she's got money, Ben Affleck. <laughs> You're welcome. That is good. My Waldo, who has to have a, a bit of a, a flair, a lot of flair, okay, is Robert Downey Jr. Oh, he would be a really good Waldo. With all those quips? Yeah. I had a different mark, but I couldn't remember who it was when I wrote it down today. Last night when I couldn't sleep, I had a different mark. But I'm going with, and I'm happy with this, Mark Ruffalo. Oh, he would be really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. Do you want me to do my alternate cast or you want to do yours? Do your alternate cast. Okay, this one, this one uh, blurred genders and race no well it didn't okay this is your so, anything goes this is my anything goes. this is my hamilton cast so my laura because i've been watching briar patch mm, i have too rosario dawson i mean she's just she's not like what you call it classic beauty but she is stunning she's so good and i'm so glad that she has briar patch because to show off her talent. Anyone, yeah, anyone who's listened to this has known, you know, when we do the POC counts and we do the recasting of just how much talent is out there that just doesn't get to doesn't shine. Get seen exactly. And I'm that's why I love Briar Patch so much because I I've always liked her whenever she's shown up in anything. Mm-hmm. And yes, yes. Another thing to stream while you're, you know, at home doing nothing, Briar Patch. It's on USA Network. So it's on NBC. that drill out of her purse every time. I love it. So Rosario Dawson is my Laura. So my Shelby, the guy who, you know, is going to be a philanderer one way or another. Uh, But good looking enough for Laura to consider marrying is Shamar Moore. I believe it's my first time to cast him. Shamar Moore made a deal with the devil down at the yeah. crossroads. Because yeah, that did. man doesn't age. He doesn't. He stays gorgeous. Okay, my Waldo is, uh, okay, not the young one, but the 2020 Morris Chestnut. Waldo Lidecker, 2020 Morris Chestnut. I... I haven't seen him. I just remember him from Boys in the Hood because that was the last time I saw him. And so I know. I'm like, ah. 
Okay. So fast forward like 40 years. Okay. Now, my mark, I went totally off the reservation. Oh, no. Are we going to get canceled? No. <laughs> Chanel Mac- Monet. As, as the detective? Yep. Yeah, that's oh. pretty good. Yeah. I mean, she falls in love with this person she's investigating. She could she could play the, the dark brooding dude because she has a dark brooding secret or not. She can be out, but it's still she fell in love with Laura. Then Laura comes in and finds her in her apartment and it, they fall in love. It's like, what? Yeah. See? Yeah? Dump all the men, that's, Laura. Come and be with me. It's good. <laughs> that's pretty yeah. good. Thank you. I'm very happy with both That's of my good. cast. All right. So my, my cast, I green light it. My cast for Shelby, I have, because I saw him as just the, he he's just there. You know he's no good, but he's just, there is something that's lovable about him. He's and got, a he, yeah. He's got a magnetism uh-huh, to him. So I cast Jason Siegel as Shelby from... Forgetting Sarah Marshall and Freaks and oh, Geeks oh, yeah, 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 and yeah, How yeah, I yeah, Met yeah, My yeah. Mother. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes. And then as McPherson, I have Stephen Dorff. I've heard the name, but I can't place. He was in, he was in like the Blade movies in the 90s. And then he was most recently in the True Detective with, um, what's his face? Yes. He was the white guy. The- Mahala. Yeah. Mahershala Ali. Mahershala Ali. Uh-huh. I love him. Yeah, because yeah. he, he just had that tight-lipped and where he you didn't know what he was thinking, but he could be, he could, you know, there was a lot going on beneath what the surface. He could do that whole scene where there's no dialogue. Exactly. There was just something about Dana Andrews that just instantly, like, he was the first person I recast. I was like, oh, that's Steven Dorff. Excellent. Then my Laura, like, all right, Jean Tierney, just somebody who just captivates you. Who is that now? And I cast Francis Florence Pugh of just being able to, you know, she would have the picture of her and then the stories of her and like how she can turn it on and stuff. And okay, I know the name. You watched her, you know her. She was in Little Women, the new, re, the new Little Women, and she was in that. You watched it, the little drummer girl on AMC, because you made the comment about how she wasn't super thin, <laughs> and you were like, "I like her." <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So I, I think her of just having this. Uh, you need somebody with an alluring yes, charm yes, that you could see yes. their picture and be like, okay, I'm in. And then yes. the stories and stuff. And then when you see them in real life that they can just turn it on and you're like, yep, yes. whatever you want. All right. And then I was so proud of my Lydicker because I was psycho. Yeah. this. I don't know if he would do it, but he would be perfect for it in my opinion. RuPaul. I oh. thought of RuPaul. I did think of him. Mm-hmm. 
That would be a great one. Yeah, yeah. He's just in his suit and he's just, you know, has oh all, the, God, yeah. all the delivering quips those and quips. stuff, delivering the lines. Yep. Oh, excellent. That's my recast. I thought of my I thought of one. Uh-huh. Not I would love to see the cast of It's Always Sunny do this as an episode. Oh, that would be really good. <laughs> I could see it all. D would be Laura. D would be Laura. Would Mac be the detective? Yeah. Or and Frank. Th- I'm trying to think of who Frank would be. <laughs> Adam said the man in the bathroom. <laughs> I kind of feel like um, what's his face would be D's brother would be the man in the bathtub. Mac. No, Dennis. Not, I mean, Dennis. Dennis. Yeah, Dennis. the Dennis would be the man in the bathtub. But Frank or Dennis would be the detective. But yeah, I could just see them all doing um a, an episode of the. That would be hilarious. They should do it. Yeah. Excellent. You know, don't be surprised if you go to, well, the next time we're able to go to the grocery store, if we see something about Laura or Jean Tierney on People, the that's cover the, of a magazine. The thing, like, if you're the one in your household who gets sacrificed to go to the grocery store, that's the one joy in your life would be seeing the thing that Gone with the Bushes has already predicted happen. <laughs> You're like, oh, that's not so bad that I might have been exposed to who knows what here. Exactly. Yay. Look at what's on there. <laughs> it happens frequently. It's really freaky how often it happens. It does. Okay, Christine, I'm ready for quotables. Okay, well, we did a, a good amount of mine. But there were a couple of more. One of them says, Laura, dear, I cannot stand these morons any longer. <laughs> And I can't tell you how many times I have that thought run through my head on a, on a normal day. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Monday through Friday? I cannot stand these morons any longer. Monday through Monday. <laughs> um, and then at one point, I think Laura says, I could afford a blemish on my on my character, but not my clothes. Oh, Shelby says <laughs> oh, that. Shelby says that. That was that. Shelby. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Oh, funny. And then um, my last one is, I suppose you've heard losers whine before, especially your prof- in your profession, huh? <laughs> I just suppose you've heard losers whine before. <laughs> I love um, it. We did the rest of mine at some point or another. I, I have it. added quotables to our list. I'm going to put it in a Sharpie on my list. And uh, behind MVPs, I'm going to put least VP, LVP. <laughs> LVP, the loser. Oh, I love it. Okay, Tasty Nuggets. There were so many things, but um, not that I, that, not that interested me that much. <laughs> oh, okay. So you yeah, have none? I, so I have... Yeah, there weren't many. There were a couple of boring things. There were a lot of boring things, I, I found. But I did find interesting the first choices for the theme song before... Um, was... Summertime from Aaron. Porky, Porky and Bess. Bess. Yeah. Damn this movie, it eludes us. Or uh, Sophisticated Lady, Duke Ellington. Ooh. I read Sophisticated Lady, and then in um, a tasty nugget of my, I guess I didn't write it down, but there was a whole thing that I read with Otto Preminger, how he wanted the Sophisticated Lady, the Duke Ellington song, and the author, I think it was David something, Raznick, whatever. I don't mean whatever, but I just don't want to 
look it up no offense gin um <laughs> like third yeah that he was he said well give me a week and Otto preminger you know being the director was like i give you the weekend and so david got a dear john letter from the woman or wife that he had basically breaking up with him and he just poured all of that into it and was like here you go my heart's broken but i think you'll love it and preminger was like damn it I am batting a thousand with this movie. Yeah, because that the, um, because when we did the Bad and the Beautiful, mm-hmm. he did that theme song, but he wouldn't let lyrics be added to it because his Laura theme song was overrun by the lyrics. Everybody loved the lyrics more than the but instrumental, it, and it became a hit. And also, yeah. like with our Bad and the Beautiful, some stuff had come has come to light that makes that like that we didn't know when we recorded that. Of allegedness, and I don't really want to say, but I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh, okay. Didn't know. Okay. So look that up if you want to. Natalie Wood, and just know that we didn't know. Yeah, we didn't know, because I personally, I'm sorry, I haven't done the research, but I have canceled Kurt Douglas. Okay, (laughs) Clifton Webb, the first time he saw the daily of him in the bathtub Mm -hmm. was freaked out because he hadn't seen himself since he was like you know a young it had been 30 years since he had been on film because he went to broadway and stuff and then 30 years later and he saw himself and was like oh my god i'm old (laughs) i'm an old bird-like man i'm an old man those were my only ones that i wrote oh although uh one more vincent price said this was the best movie he ever made yes Mm-hmm. Do you okay, have any Aaron? tasty nuggets, Teeny? My only one is that Rotten Tomatoes gave it a hundred percent. It is a one, which is difficult from Rotten Tomatoes. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, people. I hope you. I hope you stopped this and watched. It. Even if you didn't, go back and see it. Even if you know the twist, it's still really yeah, good. If you like murder, another tasty nugget. Is this the perfect amount of time for a film? I agree. An hour and 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. That's all I can pay attention to. Yeah. Our podcast has exceeded that. Yes. <laughs> but we're giving the people what they want. <laughs> it's our job, yeah. damn it. All right. So I already mentioned how 20th Century Chief, 20th Century Fox, rest in peace, Chief Dale F. Zanuck, he thought that Clifton, because Otto Preminger wanted Clifton Webb. And he thought that Clifton Webb was too effeminate, both as an actor and in real life. Because Clifton Webb was gay. And he was out, wasn't he? I mean, as out as you could be at those times. In 1944, he didn't, okay. He, like, he wasn't dating women, you know, right. quote unquote. He was the confirmed bachelor. Um, And so they wanted, he, Zanuck wanted Layard Krieger. Remember hmm. him from, he was the devil in Heaven Can Wait. Oh, he uh-huh. was good. But he was already very well established as a villain. So Premin- Otto Preminger didn't want to cast him because he was right. like, the audience is already going to know that this guy's bad and they're right. going to suspect him. Right he away, wanted, they're going to say he did it. Exactly. He wanted the audience to be surprised. So Clifton Webb was on um, Broadway and he was doing a Noel Coward play. And Preminger filmed him 
giving a monologue from that play and showed it to Zanuck. And once again, Zanuck had to be like, son of a bitch. The guy that I can't fucking stand is right. <laughs> and kudos to Zanuck for, right. for just being like, yeah, you're right. Because that yeah. you have to think of it. Exanic, the head of the studio, all of this stuff, the ego that goes with that of being able to to know when to fold them and be like, Dad, this guy that I cannot stand is right he knows about what this. he's doing. Yep. yep. Um, and so the guy, the original director, the Ruben Mambulian, that was fired, he was also hired and fired for directing Porgy and Bess and Cleopatra in addition to Laura. Yeah. And after, so he got fired from this and then went on and was hired for Porgy and Bess, got fired, and then was hired for Cleopatra and got fired. And that was pretty much the end of his career. I would think so. Um, The Oscar nomination, so it was nominated for Best Director and it uh, Preminger lost to Leo McCary for Going My Way. Best Supporting Actor nomination, Clifton Webb, lost to Barry Fitzgerald in Going My Way. Best Adapted Screenplay nominated, got lost to Going My Way. So I'm like, well, at some point we got to do Going My Way. I'm writing Damn it, it down right now. Nominated Best Black and White Art Direction, but lost to Gaslight, which we already did. Yeah, Gaslight was good. It won for Best Black and White Cinematography, Joseph L. Lachelle. He won for this. Well done, Joseph. Mm -hmm. Um, In an early... So, Zanuck won in the uh, ending that Lydecker imagined it all. And Walter Winchell, who was super... Walter Winchell is the newspaper columnist that pretty much all newspaper columnists in movies that you see is based on. He was right. the man. Lidecker was based exactly. on him. Exactly. So many people read Walter Winchell's column. He was super influential. He, You think of whatever Instagram influencer, whatever, like, you know, he was that. Everyone yes. knew what this guy and would read it and what he said went. He watched it where Zanuck had insisted that it all be a dream and came out of the screening and went up to to Zanuck and was like, I don't understand this ending. What uh, the hell? It was the yeah, ending where Lydecker imagined it all. No, because that would be like Bobby coming back to life in Dallas. Uh, Exactly. So then Zanuck again had to go to Preminger and be like, do whatever, like, do, what do you it, need to do. my man. Like, this is the third time, like, fix it, you know? So, and yeah, those are my tasty nuggets. Well, I think it was, I think it was a great little escape. I enjoyed it, Ma. Mm-hmm. Okay, Aaron, next week? All right, next week. This was a film that I had... I don't really know anything about it. I came across it probably at this point a month ago, and I put a reminder in my phone that this Uh was the film that I wanted to do. It's a 1957 film. I believe it's directed by Ilya Kazan. I think... 
think I think we did an Ilya Kazan movie not too long ago, and that's why it came up because it. It came up as one of those, oh, this is a movie that this guy did, and it's very much of this time. Like, much in, in network, how that was like, oh, wow, scary. Yeah. And that's why I put it in my phone to do this film. Okay. 1957 film. I already checked. It's available on Apple iTunes. A Face in the Crowd. Oh. Mm. Okay, that... That is going to be a total new one for me. Mm-hmm. Me too, because it's just I've just been carrying that reminder on week after week of like, all right, all right. I want to say uh, in the tradition of Gone with the Bushes and being up to date, I was watching Access Hollywood and they were uh, interviewing Olivia Newton-John and giving her a quiz about Greece. And oh. I knew every answer except... Everything they ordered at the diner, I knew oh, that God. they ordered a malt and a cheeseburger. I forgot that she ordered a cherry Coke. Oh. But everything else, why she threw up. Um, there were several other things that I knew the answer to. I just don't remember. That, and that was this week that that was on? This week. That it was, was on. Crazy. I think like Thursday or Friday night it was on. Yeah, because I'm listening from the bathroom and I went, what and it was her being interviewed so that was really it's that's how it works with gone with the bushes wow. that is like this week you're going to be inundated by think but people mentioning laura <laughs> and jean tyranny and the cor- be- people breaking quarantines <laughs> <laughs> okay listeners we hope you enjoyed this time with us and we have two new categories to add to our podcast Quotables and least valuable players. <laughs> See you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.